there is, I think, a very small potential for this movie to break out beyond dads and lonely dads going to the movies to see this. I enjoyed the film okay. I think some performances are a little bit off, but Michael Mann is always worth watching visually. We've got a 4 to $8 million opening weekend range for this title coming out from Neon. 20 to 40 domestic total, but something tells me overseas there might be some potential. Is there an audience segment I'm missing here? Because the Ferrari brand is either douchebags or like 18-year-old boys. Are there other people that like that brand? This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. Finally back here full-time from paternity leave. A nice little welcome into the holiday season. And I am joined this week by my colleagues, Rebecca Pauly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro, and Romeo Duchenne, I don't know what your title is. You're at the box office company, our parent company. What, what are you doing this week? Yeah, hi, Daniel. Hi, Rebecca. It's been a while, and I still have I have the same feeling as you, Daniel, but I didn't have a kids. It's been a while. I didn't see you. That's It's been that yeah, long. I was surprised you still work here, but that's fantastic. Same, that's why like, maybe you got promoted, maybe you got demoted. I don't know how these things work. It's budget season here. We won't get into too much of that on the box office podcast. We'll let our bosses do that fight for us. But let's go into what is opening up here on Christmas weekend in North America. Guys, this is going to be a big haul holiday frame. We are expecting a difficult end to the year. We've got some long weekends here that are going to create some curveballs in our box office reporting. And we also don't have a major global blockbuster to finish out the year the way we had in the last two post-pandemic years. But we do have Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom. We've got a $29 to $38 million opening weekend forecast for this title. Once we look at the four-day frame, including that Monday, 25th of December, Christmas Day, we are expecting between 38 and $51 million. Right now, a domestic total forecast in North America for the Aquaman sequel of $105 to $155 million. Rebecca, Romeo, these aren't huge numbers. But considering how not only DC movies have played at the box office, but superhero movies in general have played at the box office, can we look at a $100 million benchmark and walk away happy from this DC extended universe? I mean, I definitely think that, you know, a month, six weeks ago, we would be having a different conversation. But I think maybe the, the Marvels has set kind of the low bar for the success of comic book movies and maybe how interested audiences are at, at seeing them just on the basis of them being comic book movies. So, I mean... I don't know. I've been kind of kind of hopeful on this one. It looks schlocky. It looks bright. It looks fun. Directed by James Wan. And yeah, I mean, I think if it, it won't be the superhero failure of the year. Now, Romeo, you've been tracking this title both domestically and overseas, according to some off the record sources. So we can't go out with uh, bold statements here. But what's your feeling based on the data points we're seeing early on during the week ahead of Aquaman's release? Yes, Daniel. Well, firstly, it looks like, I don't know if you remember, but they presented the, the trailer uh, last uh, CinemaCon in Vegas. And um, I have to admit that at the time, we can really feel that they tried to launch the hype. And uh, we can clearly see that on the evolution of the forecast, of the domestic forecast, that the hype never really kicked off. 
We started last year, I think, with projection above $150 million. But now the domestic cumulative is mostly around $120, $150. And if we look into other data points, such as tracking service, for instance, from a national research group here in the U.S., this is the most powerful tracking service here. They give us a range between $36, $44 million opening weekend, which is not uh, not great. Warner is a bit more uh, aggressive on that. They are around $50 million opening. But when we look internationally, I mean, we have also other tracking services uh, in, in other countries, such as France, Germany, major European country. And when we look at what's happening in France, the tracking is mostly comparable to uh, to Black Adam. So it's not a surprise that the tracking is way lower than the first one. It's usually the case with a sequel, but it's not half. It's more than a half. It's, well, it's less than half. It's 20% the viewer, the tracking uh, from the first one. So yeah, it looks like we're going to aim for a movie around 400, 500, not the billion one. No, yeah, and this is on a worldwide level, 400 to 500 million from this Aquaman sequel. Again, not what it used to be, but better than it has been. And I think that's really the way we're limping through the finish line here in a very difficult 2023 at the box office. Yeah, and more than the, than the track kick, we can also look at the pre-sales now because we are just at the corner of the of the release. And um, pre-sales just, uh, just really started uh, to kick off uh, in, in China today, so the 19th of December, because they have a midnight screening. So it looks decent in, uh, in China. Here in the U.S., it looks more like Shazam rather than, uh, rather than Black Adam. And that's the first Shazam, right? Or is it that the no, second Shazam? The second Shazam. Oh, that is not good. You have to specify which Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the bad Shazam. I mean, I think it's interesting looking at the numbers. I wonder how indicative the numbers are of what is eventually going to happen at the box office this year compared to previous years where, like you said, Daniel, there's not one big Hollywood blockbuster. We don't have an Avatar. We don't have a Spider-Man No Way Home. We have a bunch of diverse and, you know, quote unquote, smaller titles. I mean, I think even if we don't necessarily see huge blockbuster numbers over the Christmas weekend, over Christmas Day, this I, I can see this being one where some of these movies will hold better on chase weeks, given, you know, people are going to be waiting to hear word of mouth. There's not just one obvious movie to see. I, and I don't want to look into pre-sales too much because it's holiday seasons, and all the credit cards are hitting as hell. So I don't think the priority is to uh, buy a ticket for Aquaman as a pre-sales. But on the average, pre-sales looks between uh, The Flash and Black Adam. All right. Well, that is the benchmarks that we have for the opening weekend of Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom coming up here in the Christmas frame. We have also have a family movie from Universal called Migration. We have a 15 to $20 million opening weekend forecast for the three-day frame. The four-day Christmas frame looks between a 21 to $28 million, the way it's looking like, for this to run out to a total between $110 and $170 million domestically. Not much to say on this one until we see how this performs in the market. Well, I think one thing that, that's worth worth saying for it is, A, it's an illumination title, and B, it has a minion short in front of it. So that, oh, neither of those people. things can hurt. I mean, original IP, it's not an established franchise, so there's not as much to go on, but illumination over the last 
goodness, decade has just been been absolutely killing it in terms of, of family entertainment. It's something that I'm also curious about as we uh, look at the numbers, Disney and Universal are kind of neck and neck in terms of the studio making the most money this year. Disney and its subsidiaries has a $1.88 billion. Universal and Focus has $1.86. So if migration from Universal does pop off, you know, we more can, than nothing, basically. Yeah. More than wish. I mean, Disney doesn't have much else coming out this year that would, uh, that would allow them to catch up should Universal overtake them. So I think we could be looking at another franchise starter for this one, for sure. And talking about studios, we have the very unique strategy from Warner Brothers this Christmas season to release three movies over a span of 10 days. We will speak about Wonka in its sophomore frame shortly. We just spoke about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. The third title in that trifecta is going to be the musical adaptation of The Color Purple opening over Christmas. We have a 16 to $22 million opening weekend forecast for that title. For it to run out between 75 to $125 million. Something that I've been seeing online is the fact that I'm not sure a lot of people know that this or Wonka were musicals or had musical elements to it. It seems a little counterintuitive, but we have to remember musicals haven't performed very well at the box office as of late. What do you guys think of this marketing decision to kind of blur the status of there's people singing songs in this? Based on the marketing, I don't get the impression that they're trying to hide it so much on the color purple as they are with Wonka and the upcoming uh, January release of the Mean Girls movie, which is a musical, which doesn't look like a musical based on the trailers. I mean, the color purple was, you know, a, a Tony award winning musical. I, I think that that it's more clear. I'm hopeful. I think the best case scenario that we can be looking for here is a sort of greatest showman sort of uh, long tail where, you know, maybe it doesn't open so high, but then it becomes a big rewatch, a big group outing sort of situation through Q1 when there's maybe not a ton else to see. Rebecca, we've been conjuring the ghost of The Greatest Showman ever since that movie opened. Every Christmas season, we're like, maybe this legs out the way Greatest Showman did. Every movie that I think that's open to like $20 million since The Greatest Showman brings that up. Uh, it's an outlier. It's Sorry. Me, At this it's, point, it's, that's an outlier. For everyone, eventually we will be right. No, <laughs> no, I, I completely I completely get what you're saying. That is 100% a, a best case scenario. But I don't know. I mean, this one, Oprah is heavily involved behind the scenes. She was with the musical and obviously the original film. If she's out there doing heavy promo, it's definitely a plus. Talking about heavy promo, Ferrari, coming out from one of my personal favorite directors, Michael Mann. Romeo, as probably the resident F1 expert, and <laughs> by, by that avenue, the resident Ferrari expert of the team. Are you excited for this movie? Like, I, there is, I think, a very small potential for this movie to break out beyond dads and lonely dads going to the movies to see this. I enjoyed the film okay. I think some performances are a little bit off, but Michael Mann is always worth watching visually. We've got a 4 to $8 million opening weekend range for this title coming out from Neon. 20 to 40 domestic total, but something tells me overseas there might be some potential. Is there an audience segment I'm missing here? Because the Ferrari brand is either douchebags or like 18-year-old boys. Are there other people that like that brand? 
And we've had Ford versus Ferrari. We've had other car racing movies. There have been quite a few of them the last few years. I'm like, how many can the market sustain? You're missing a point. Since Netflix launched Drive to Survive, Ferrari with Charles Leclerc is the most sexiest guy on earth now. And all the women are following Charles Leclerc on Instagram. If, if, Charles, so, Leclerc was, if Charles Leclerc was in this movie, sure. But it's not Charles Leclerc. It's, not, it's yeah. Adam Driver, who for some reason, people saw his performance in uh, in House of Gucci and said, we need more of this. <laughs> we need more of Adam Driver doing an Italian so accent. True. And let's bring in Shailene Woodley and see how she does. Uh, spoiler alert, not great. But listen, the movie looks gorgeous. It's an interesting story. Again, the performances, I think, leave something to be desired here. Yeah, there might be an appeal here. Again, overseas, sure. there might be something. I think it's tough. It's also not an action movie. It's a drama. It's a drama about yeah. a guy who just lost his kid trying to revive his business. It's a weird movie to put blockbuster potential on. And to me, I, I will always think about the, Rush is probably the best Formula One movie ever. So yeah, it's going to be too diffi difficult to come after Rush and also after Le Mans. Le Mans was a terrific movie. Terrific movie. Daniel, as you're a, as you're a mega a mega man fan, I have to say I did watch Thief for the first time over the past week. I mean, didn't James can? like tweet at you like five years ago. That's, I think, how I first heard of you. I was like, wait, Ooh. someone's retweeting someone? <laughs> Jimmy Khan is retweeting someone in the exhibition journalism orbit? I got excited. Did that happen? First tweets about uh, a movie that he did with Olivia Havilland in the 70s. That's neither here nor there. We've got a number of other titles here opening up. The Iron Claw, a wrestling drama coming out this weekend. We've got an Opening weekend range of two to five million dollars and a domestic total of ten to twenty-six million. In the world of wrestling movies, which is a weird, weird world, this is more of an awards contender than a let's find an audience. I'm excited title, for right? this one. I'm hearing I'm hearing a good amount of, of buzz from it in my circles. That said, I mean, I know the, the premise of the film and and not to spoil anything, but I think it's pretty clear in the trailer. This is a, a family of wrestlers who founding a dynasty, and then they're the cursed family, essentially. Like, nothing goes right for them. So I'm not sure if, like, a Christmas release for something that's about family togetherness, where everything goes wrong for the family, I don't know about, uh, it's counter-programming, you know, and we've yeah, seen counter-programming yeah. uh, really, really do some good at the box office. So You want a bleak wrestling drama? You got one here. I got, they, you know, they, they, and the cast is great. You got Zach Efron, you got Harris Dickinson, you know, got, I mean, it's a good, it's a good cast. I'm, I'm depending on word of mouth. That might be one I, uh, I drag my family out to see. All right. Let's go over the other, uh, wide release coming out here, a romantic comedy with two impossibly attractive people. We've got Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell in anyone but you. We've got a low opening weekend range here between one to three million over the holiday weekend with a potential to run out between four to $15 million. It hasn't been a genre that's worked at the box office, but for anyone that likes to stare at attractive people on a screen in the dark, this is your movie. I guess. Yes, I mean, we certainly have been talking for Sarah, it seems like the longest time. Are we going to see the comeback of, of the R-rated comedy? Definitely this year, I think the answer is no. We had a, a good number of films try it. No Hard Feelings, Strays, Joyride. Nothing really hits. And I mean, I don't know. I'm definitely hopeful that this one 
Well, you know, I'm hopeful that every movie will have success. That would be wonderful if every movie made a boatload of money. And then the last movie opening over a packed weekend of options here at the box office is the second dad movie out there for those dads that don't want to see Ferrari. They can go see The Boys in the Boat. I haven't heard of this movie. I guess no one else has either because we've got an opening weekend range between 1.5 and 4 million. I feel like there's been very little marketing. Yeah, I mean, it's my dad wants to see it. It's based on a book, what looks to be a very like inspiring sports story about a scrappy American uh, sportsman going up against, I think, Nazis. Oh, man. Is it a versus Nazi sports movie? There's like a a growing little genre of like playing sports against Nazis. Of course, the iconic film in this mini genre is Victory, starring Sylvester Stallone and Pelé. Will this get to be that good? I don't know. But I mean, that's that's an exciting little like niche there. You know, you got to beat the Nazis at like badminton or water polo. I don't know. I think it's crew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, this one's cool. Fantastic. And that does it for the new releases coming out this Christmas weekend. There are going to be holdovers in the market, including the sophomore frame of Wonka following a $39 million domestic opening weekend. That was above our pre release expectations. This movie now has very real potential to hit the $200 million mark domestically in a theatrical run over the holidays. Rebecca, we saw solid cinema scores from this movie. What were the demographics and sort of like post-release polling for this title? We had of the opening weekend uh, domestic crowd, 54% Caucasian, 24% Hispanic, 9% African-American, 8% Asian, and 5% Native American. Around a third of, of business opening weekend came from premium formats. And the statistic for this one that really caught my eye, you know, the top 10 highest earning individual uh, cinemas uh, in the market. Number one for Wonka was uh, from our friends at Megaplex based in Utah, the Megaplex Jordan Commons uh, in Salt Lake City. So congrats to them. I mean, out uh, numbers two and three were two of the big AMCs here in New York, the, uh, the Lincoln Square and the Empire 25 in Times Square, Disney Springs, Orlando, some theaters in Los Angeles and the Burbank area. But yeah, congratulations. Uh, congratulations to, to Megaplex because that's uh, it's a big get. And Megaplex with two theaters in the top 10 here. There's another Salt Lake location in that top 10 highest earning locations for Wonka. Salt Lake City, the number five highest earning DMA for this title. Gives you an idea of how family friendly this title is going to be. Or how much Salt Lake City loves chocolate. And overseas, Wonka is now up to 112 million, tracking on par with The Little Mermaid. According to the studio, Little Mermaid made $270 million overseas. So we might be looking at something close to $500 million worldwide for this title. I think a strong, strong start. UK, the top overseas market with $23 million. What's the entire overseas picture for this movie? So well, let's start with like you started with uh, with Europe and uh, and generally in Europe was a very very strong weekend. Like you said, tracking over uh, the Little Mermaid, Mary Poppins, but also Hunger Games and Paddington Two and Paddington One. This weekend, the biggest country to release uh, Wonka was France. France they did five point one million dollar and they are clear rank number one. And it was actually a challenge market in France this weekend because they came after the second installment of The Free Musketeer. I don't know if you know about this local French, very French tale. Romeo, no one outside of France knows about this very local Three Musketeer sequel. 
Nobody. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Chad, Chad yeah. who is producing this episode here in the podcast, just raised his head. Chad is the only person outside of France and French people who has heard of this film. Well, so, but apparently it was a tough weekend. I'm glad it did well. Maybe you'll get a remake in uh, in ten years. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, it. After, anyway, after the way Napoleon performed, I think oh, we yes. have <laughs> our movies about French people and your movies about French people, and we will Touché. just remain that way. Touche, touche, <laughs> like they say here. <laughs> but no, anyway, I also would like to compare Wong with Dune. I know it's a bit odd, but like Rebecca said, they did an amazing job trying to hide the fact it was a musical, and I think they were they were right because I was totally a victim of that. For me, it was the Timothée Chalamet brand, and that's it. That was it. And so actually in France, it's not too bad compared to June. It's only 25, 29% below June. So very, very strong opening in France. You said, yes, UK released the movie a week before France and a strong, very strong hold with only 30% uh, 30 drop. It's 80% above The Little Mermaid and 40% above June in the UK. Great tracking for that title. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think an overperformer here, because it was an IP that we didn't know how it could be resuscitated, especially with a reboot like this, they got the right director for it. Uh, I think everybody everybody before this movie was released kept on saying, well, I have doubts about the IP. Chalamet's a star. And that director, you know, after those two Paddington movies, there's something there. And audiences are, by and large, responding here. Another IP that we were not so sure about pre-release that now we are pretty sure is a hit, is The Hunger Games with the ballad of, what is it, Songbirds and Snakes? I knew this would be difficult coming back. Anyway, I got it. First one out. Wonderful. Hunger Games prequel. A successful IP return for this title and Lionsgate. The film has been in the top two spots over its first five weekends domestically at the box office. It enters the Christmas weekend with $145 million domestically. That is matched overseas for $290 million worldwide for this title. Lionsgate needed another big IP hit like this. They had one earlier this year with John Wick Chapter 4. Good momentum on the IP front for Lionsgate as we head into 2024. Elsewhere in the market, we've got some specialty titles expanding here. Let's start here with one of my favorite films of this year. It has to be probably the most divisive movie of the year when all is said and done. Yorgos Lantimos, Poor Things, expanded to an additional 82 theaters last weekend, earning a 15.5 thousand per screen average for a weekend total of 1.3 million. That is now up to 2.2 million domestically. I know that isn't uh, blockbuster numbers, that's not multiplex numbers, but on the art house world, there's buzz around this title, there's conversation around this title. Poor Things is expanding to more than 800 locations this weekend with international markets rolling between January and February. Elsewhere on the specialty front, a more accessible film, let's put it that way, American Fiction opened last weekend and platform release in seven theaters across New York, LA, and Austin to $227,000, a per screen average of 32.4 thousand. Uh, for seven locations, a platform release, a very, very good start. That title is now expanding this weekend to 11 new cities and approximately 40 theaters. And rounding out the specialty market here over Christmas weekend is Jonathan Glazer's first film in over a decade, The Zone of Interest. The film grows to 124,000 in only four screens 
in New York and LA for a very impressive per screen average of $31.1,000, including sellouts at LA's historic Vista Theater, according to A24. The zone of interest isn't expanding over the weekend. There's a lot of competition. This is a difficult Holocaust uh, drama, so it's not really the type of movie that has to hit any financial benchmarks, but it is going to be in the conversation during award season. I've seen the film. It's one of the year's best. I'm excited for audiences to catch that. And they will be able to do so with its nationwide expansion set to begin in January of 2024. Guys, that is our packed Christmas weekend here at the box office. And to round out this conversation, I want to talk about something that isn't movies because it's the Christmas season. We have to come up with something seasonal. You have to finish up with this answer. What is your favorite Christmas time hot beverage? Because it's cold out here in New York. I know it's not in LA where Romeo is, but <laughs> if you're going to order a hot beverage over Christmas, what's your choice? It's tough. It's a little Sophie's choice. Well, no, I'm talking about Holocaust. Oh, come on. That's not, you do no. not conjure. No. No. You don't bring up Sophie's choice when we're talking about a beverage right, choice. That. That Very is, different. That is- Overly, uh, overly, uh, yeah. That's more melodramatic than Sophie's Choice, yes. It's a tough one because it's uh, pretty much a tie between uh, Nutella hot chocolate with rum chata or uh, hot apple cider with rum. Hot apple cider with rum. That's like a hot toddy replacing the whiskey with rum. Am Mm -hmm. I correct on that? Ish, yeah. Ish, yeah. It's more sweet. It's more on the apple side, but... Then the hot but I'm gonna Google what rum chata is, and I'm gonna send you a case just for laughs. Romeo, uh, oh do God. you enjoy rum chata in your in your oh warm beverages? Can you guys, can you hear the eye roll? Can the audience hear the eye roll? Hey right now, it's, it's, it's a it's a creamy cinnamon. It just gives hot chocolate a little cinnamon alcohol kick. Don't hate. I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I've heard as much about rum chata as I have about the boy in the boat, whatever that is. <laughs> Romeo, what is your hot beverage of choice here? Can you guys stop mixing stuff? I mean, you started with chicken and waffle. It's already an abomination. Can you stop stop mixing weird stuff together? So, I'm... for as a French, the the only the only hot beverage that we'll have, we'll have during Christmas, I think you'll guess it. It's hot wine, and that's it. Rebecca, have you ever had hot wine? I mean, no, and I'm not a red wine person. And do they is hot white wine a thing? It's always red, right? No, yeah. So it's red with a little bit of cinnamon. I had some hot wine. I was in uh, Montpellier a couple of winters ago, and our colleague at Box Office Pro France, Ashigou Logan, big shout out to her. Uh, she was very wonderful in, in showing my wife and I around Montpellier. She took me to a Christmas holiday festival they had, and I ordered a hot wine for the first time. And it was the last time I will be having a hot wine. <laughs> Uh, but you might be saying the same thing about my equally as ethnic uh, hot beverage choice for the holiday season, Café de Olla, a Mexican cinnamony, like milky cinnamony sweet coffee. I like strong coffee. I like Colombian style coffee. But in the world of like sweet coffees, Café de Olla, it's not really a seasonal thing. I think I tried. Any time. You have to try it. You'll probably I have some in LA. Probably. Yeah, I think I tried in LA in a, in a Mexican restaurant and I was, uh, yeah, I was, I, I don't know, my reaction was, uh, I, I didn't know how to react basically. <laughs> right. It's not coffee. It's coffee adjacent. But in the world of coffee adjacent, it's better than Starbucks. I like Mexican I hot say. chocolate. I mean, I feel like you put some caffeine in there. You can't really mess that up. And that's basically what it is. 
It's Mexicans hot chocolate version with coffee. And that's our choice for a hot beverage in this holiday season. I hope everybody listening to this show enjoys a hot beverage of their own at the movies, if they sell that, and that we all enjoy a very productive and profitable Christmas corridor here in the theatrical exhibition sector. Thank you, Romeo. Thank you, Rebecca, for your contributions in this week's episode. The Box Office Podcast is returning next week for our recap episode, going over the top movie-going moments and stories of the year, so don't miss that coming out next Thursday. This show is produced in collaboration between Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Report Edit Podcast. Thank you for your support, and we will see you again next week.